Welcome to episode 313 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Alright guys, welcome along to episode 313 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I am sensational. Sensational. Where are you right now? I'm sitting in Kona. We're doing the, the, the topless Kona episode. John's topless. He, uh, he said to me, I want to get topless for you. I said, yep, sweet. I'm excited about it. God. Uh, <laughs> why, why are you topless? Why are you topless? Because we, we started recording the show. I've got my new um, kit from Audio Technica, which is awesome. And nice. um, the, the, the condos we're in a right ocean view. Like we're, we're literally 20 meters from the ocean. So uh, one nice. side you've got the, the waves crashing and the other side you've got Alihi Drive. So I had to shut all the doors. And uh, it's a little toasty in here. Nice. Good stuff. I'm good, mate. I'm good. I'm missing you. It's not the same without you here. I didn't, <laughs> Great. I, I didn't sleep last night. I was that excited. You know, I was yeah. like, where's John? So, it's all good. I'm talking apparently brought to you by? Coffeesofhawaii.com. I've got another fact for you guys this week. They just keep getting better. Nice. Uh, extreme endurance. Lactic buffer. Get on it, team. And athletics.com. You're at slowing the pace here, mate. Uh, athletics, social networking for endurance athletes. Okay, guys, in this week's show, we've got a news. We've got a bit of news. We've got a website of the week. We've got an interview with who? With Matt Steinmetz. So, we pre-recorded this uh, before I came over and Matt is one of Craig Alexander's advisors, sort of helps him with equipment choices, a bit of coaching as well and uh, yeah, it's got some good stuff in there. And then we've got some questions and answers at the end. Okay, news uh, apparently brought to you by ESLS Try and John, you're in Kona, what's happening? It's the biggest piece of news in the triathlon world this week <laughs> is the fact that John is in Kona. Well, it's good to, it is good to be back and uh, so I got here, uh, had a palaver of a journey over, um, my flights and uh, flying out of Sydney, the Dunnies got blocked, Bevan, the Dunnies got blocked. Oh, really? The Dunnies. <laughs> so our flight was delayed and then I missed my connections and uh, it was all a big drama. But we got here, it's Memorial Weekend in America and so when I got bumped, I got kept getting bumped off all these flights and I'm sitting in Honolulu Airport and then other guys flying out of Christchurch um, got followed delays and miss their flights but uh, people are going to start arriving it's good to be back and there's a lot of people around uh, because uh, uh, it's Memorial Weekend but we've been out on the bikes and uh, a lot of people riding up and down the Queen K so there's uh, yeah, going to be a big week So, so all the rock stars in town do you know? Well, I think they'll be down the road a bit um, but apparently you know, Lance Armstrong has that little camp on this weekend and Craig Alexander was going to be here for that I know and Chrissy Wellington I think they were staying at the Manulani which is down by the race venue uh, and so I presume they're all here yeah wow. we'll, go, we'll, go, we'll go see them on the Queen K tomorrow we'll show them who's boss they're probably asking about where you are exactly <laughs> yeah. we're, in, we're in paradise down on Lee Drive so the big showdown this weekend is the Hawaii 70.3 obviously we're starting with this this week but who's in the race 
Well, that's it's quite as per usual. My usual rant. You go onto the start list, and it's just got this gigantic big start list. And uh, what's going to be initially? I know Pete Jacobs was going to do it. I'm not sure if he's here because he was injured. Um, but one person I didn't know who is on the start list is Greg Bennett. Oh wow! So that's going to be interesting um, because over half distance, he's pretty handy, and I guess he's coming over here to to probably have a week of training and check it, check out what Kona's all about, and uh, and race the back half of the course and. The None of them are here for the money um, or the points because it's very poor. And Crowy, I know, um, was originally down to race. I assume he's here, and so I assume he's going to race. And, of course, Lance Armstrong, one of the guys saw his uh, his jet parked up at the, the Kona Airport, so he's obviously here, and, wow. uh, and and he was racing. So it's, it's, it's bizarre because every other year, this race, nobody comes. It is, it is only got $15,000 prize money, total prize pool, and it's only got 1,000 points. You used to get Chris McCormick coming here from time to time because he would come over here and do a training sort of a training week and do the race but yep. normally he would win by 10 15 minutes uh, so it's just crazy that because Lance is here all of a sudden all the guys want to come and uh, see how they stack up against him wow it's pretty fascinating it'll be interesting to see the race scene if you've got Bennett and Crowy there mm, I know us because you know they, they should all come out of the swim together, and uh, and it's a tough bike ride it's the back half of the Kona course so it's uh, out to Harvey and back so quite undulating and hilly um, a lot of wind so the opportunity for Lance to put big big time into them on the bike I think is very real and uh, yeah it's going to be really interesting to see if they, they lay it down but you've got to remember Lance raced I think last weekend he did um, a 70.3 yep. or might yep. have been the weekend before I thought it was last week though so no, you've got no, to we're think about last week. Yeah, it was last week yeah. yeah you've got to think he's got to have a bit of fatigue in the legs and he has got a few other 70.3s under his belt so um We'll see. It's, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting. Well, John, this is my this weekend Lance. Apparently, signed mm. up for High V. Really? Mm. For the uh, yeah, month out from Kona. Ah, right. Yeah, yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. No, so. that's a non. So it's a non-drafting race for people now, and it's uh, it's big prize money. It gets a good field. Now, High um, V's Olympic distance. Olympic distance, yeah. And so. I thought you had to qualify for that. Um, like you have to do other races. Maybe you do, don't. Do, do you think Lance has to qualify for anything? Well, he's got to qualify for Kona. Um, maybe they have, in that race, maybe they have some discretionary spots. I'm not sure. But surely, even if Lance doesn't qualify, he'd be have to do it. The 51.50, but he won't be allowed to do Kona if he doesn't get enough points or, or, um, or you know, I, I, I think there'll be a huge uproar if he did. And, and I think from, from memory, when we asked Andrew Messick, I think he said the same things, you know. The reality is he, Lance Armstrong has to go to France and he has to finish and he probably has to get some okay points to, to have enough points to qualify for Kona because whilst he's doing all these 70.3 races and having really good results, um, you can only count a certain number of 70.3 results to your overall total. So he'll, he'll need, uh, I mean, I think he'll go and crush everybody in France um, and so there won't be any dramas but if he had um, ex- massive explosion in France or if he got injured um, uh, and wasn't able to complete the race I'm, I'm guaranteed he wouldn't be allowed to start in Kona Oh wow it'll be interesting to see okay well Ironman Brazil happened last weekend and you put up the results what's the story over there? Yeah, so it's still in progress. Um, it's literally just finished uh, as we're recording this because we're recording it a day earlier than usual. Uh, so I don't really, it wasn't really following the race. But on the, the, the girls' side of things, we had Sophie Goss win in 9.17 from Kim Lofter in 9.20 and Vanessa G. Or 
Giannini um, in 9.23. So pretty close racing, only six minutes covering the top top three. And on the guys' side of things, Ezekiel Morales um, took it out in 8.22 from Santiago Ascendo and Igor Morelio in 8.28. So again, you know, top, covering the top five of the guys was only eight minutes. And Bevan, do you want me to tell you a little bit about Sophie Gosson um, Ezekiel Morales? You, you know what I wanted you to tell me about? Sophie Gosson. Tell me about her. Right, where's my page? So Sophie Goss, uh, she, thanks to Torsten, she was third in Ironman Florida last year. She won Ironman Florida in 2009. She was third in Texas last year. So she's got some, some good soldiers out. Nice for her to get a win. Looks like her second Iron Distance win after Florida. And then Ezekiel Morales, he's, last year he won Ironman Wisconsin and he was uh, second in Brazil uh, in 2010 and third in 2011. So I'm loving this Torsten stuff. It's great to have these stats because normally I would go Ezekiel Morales, don't have a clue about him because I don't really follow the South American athletes. Um, so it's awesome that we've got this stuff. Mm. Okay, so Ironman Kansas is coming up this weekend. Now, is Mecca racing? <laughs> I believe so. Um, from from everything, I, I saw some press releases um, last week that said he's racing. He's he's sandbagging it, saying it's the the least prepared he's ever been for for an iron distance race. Obviously, um, but I don't think he'll have any, too many dramas. I think you know if he wants to go out and. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he really dominates this race. I think the only person that can could possibly um, give him a real hurry up would be would be Cameron Brown. You know, um, so on the, on the guys' side of things, you've got uh, you got you have got you've got Luke Bell, you've got Cameron Brown, um, you've got David Dello. He's a bit of a dark horse. I'm not sure how many iron distance races he's he's. Luke McKenzie, but those guys, you know, somebody like Luke McKenzie, he's going to have to exit on the bike and have a big lead over someone like Macca because Macca, you know, Macca and Crowey, those guys, you know, they can run 245. Um, and so someone like Luke McKenzie, he's going to need at least sort of five minutes off the, um, off the front of those guys. So uh, it's a pretty strong field, you know, on the guys' side. I think it's a pretty strong field when you've got um, Macca, McKenzie, Brown. Cam Brown, Luke Bell, um, D- David Dello, who's uh, who's on on the app, and he's the partner of. Um, uh, come on, help me here, Bevan. Help me here, David um, Dello. Um, um, Halle Berry. No. no. Oh. Uh, who 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 won Ironman Melbourne? Come on, help me, help me. Um, second in Kona last year, and lovely girl met her at the airport, and her name's eluded me for a second. Wait a second, second in Kona last year. Um, oh, now you've you've eluded me, um, Caroline Chris. Car- Caroline Stephen. Caroline Stephen. She's a go. good chick. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, she, she's um, it's actually, it's actually a pretty strong field. Over you've got some good, oh, yeah. You know, Brian Rhodes. You got Scott Naidi there. You got, yeah. You know, some good. You know, it's a good little race happening here, isn't it? Because last year it was kind of Mecca and nobody else. Aaron Farlow. Yeah, so it's a good, good strong field. But you would expect it to be. There's a hundred thousand euros up for grabs. So that is on par with all the um, regional championship races. It's basically a hundred thousand euros is one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars US. And so this will be a once-a-win. It's only because it was a challenge event. Like I can't exactly. imagine next year it's going to be a hundred thousand euro for this race. No, but but, uh, but apparently somebody else is doing the event and they may be spending all their marketing money in that area. <laughs> nice. Uh, so it's hundred thousand dollars. It's two, it's a two thousand point race, so it has good points. So twenty thousand for the win. Yeah, why wouldn't you be going and doing it? What the one of the side stories that's coming out of this um, out of this event is the fact that um, Melissa Rawlinson, who's obviously recently got married, is uh, is racing, and she is the world seventy point three champion. Yeah. She's the Australian, and she is a machine runner. Like she is just incredibly fast. She's an really runner. fast. 
faster than Renee. Really? Yeah. So wow. she she's an ex. But the interesting story is is because uh, her, her new name is um, Melissa Hausdite or something like that. Um, she through this qualifying procedure because she's a seventy point three world champion. She just has to finish an iron distance race to, to validate to, yep. to get Kona. And she's currently injured. She's on the verge of having a, a stress fracture in her leg. But she signed up for the race and she said she's racing and she said she's going to walk the marathon. So she's looking at doing like a six hour marathon. Oh so, really? Just uh, to, just to get this lot. So she. She is going in there just to tick the box, and uh, be interesting if she has the discipline to do that. But that's all she requires. She, all she's required to do is to tick the box. So, in theory, all Macca needs to do as well is tick the box because he's a, a recent. Well, you know what I mean, like you know, like is it just because you kind of go, okay, well, I like the idea of validation because you know, well, I understand why they do it. They want to keep these people in the army races, but when it gets to the point where you have got a girl who's high performer, who's kind of just wasting everybody's time by turning up to this race and walking for six hours, like mm-hmm. what good does it do to the sport? It doesn't really do any sport at all. In, in certain situations, should they be allowed to go? You know what? She's injured. She could easily turn up to a race and walk the walk the race. Can we just let her have it based on? No, but it- but that's her choice. Yeah, you know, if she's injured, why doesn't she just not wait and do Kona, Kona another year? You know, she's never well, done. But, but she might say to race. herself right now, stress fracture. I'm going to be out for six weeks. You know, I don't want to. I need to get there right now so I can get a good training basin mm. for Kona. So, you know, like it's, oh, I don't know. You kind of think walking for six hours it's just a waste of time. It does seem it does seem an odd decision. Um, but I think the, the I get why she's doing it. it right. mm. But it's just it's one of those funny areas. I'm not sure if they've nailed yet. Mm. So it's uh, it's going to be interesting. So on the girls' side of things, though, in the race, obviously she's not – if she sticks to her plan, she's not going to be contending for the win. But it's a good, strong girls' field as well. You've got um, Joe Lorne. You've got Rebecca Keat. Um, you've Linda got Granger. Linda, Linda Granger. Um, got a few of the other girls like Carrie Lester um, and Jodie Scott. So should be um, should be good racing on the girls' side of things. Yeah, because it was a challenge race, it's also a 70.3 happening there as well, So which you often mm. don't see in an Ironman race. No. And one interesting thing that I didn't know that somebody told me the other day is at um, Ironman Melbourne, they had a relay section in there. Oh, really? Yeah. I wonder so why, it because it wasn't like it needed to sell it. No, it's, it was bizarre, because I had a guy, um, and he said he did the run league, and I went, what, a relay in an Ironman race? So um, that sounded a bit bizarre. I'm sure they haven't carried on with it this year, but um, anyway, challenge. Based, uh, based, on, based on Cam's Melbourne result, if he's enough downtime, you'd have to think he should be able to push Mecca. Oh, totally. You know, Especially if Mecca's going to be fast right now, but he's not going to be Ironman conditioned. So, you know, maybe Cam has a pretty good chance of taking him out. I, th- I think the critical thing for Cam, and this is, uh, uh, he's got to have a good swim. You know, if he comes out with them, he's, he's, he, these days he's riding really, really strongly. Uh, so if he comes out with them in the swim, um, he should be able to stay with them on the bike for, for at least the, the most part of it, if not all of it. Um, but uh, Mecca's probably swimming better than he has for, for a long, long time. Um, and also you have uh, Luke McKenzie, who's a great swimmer. So if those guys get away on the bike, then it could be uh, could be some problems for Cam Brown. But if he's with them on the bike, totally agree. You know, he put in a fantastic run in Melbourne. Yeah, so great you'd expect him to, you know, he, he should have a good day. Ju- Julie Shelley's just walked in the room. She's just walking out. She thinks she's interrupting, but she can stay as long as she likes. Yep, John's got a no top on. Yeah, she's she's so excited. She's has to leave the room without my, when I haven't got a top on. <laughs> okay, uh, what else is happening in news? Let me put up my little notes here. Um, we've got um, also got coming the, up this weekend. We've got Extreme Man. What else we got? Yep, that, 
We've got uh, that, that's in um, Spain. You've got the Triathlon du Sud in France, and you've got the Waza Start Triathlon in Hanover, Germany. Waza Start. Okay, very good. I do update. What happened? Madrid result. What's happened in Madrid? Wasn't so much of a good field. It was. Yeah. Well, the the, the um, I was a bit surprised on the girls' side of things. Nicola Spurrock, you know, she's been having an outstanding season, but I really thought Andrea Hewitt would go over there and uh, crush them, but she had a very poor day on the run and uh, and only finished up in ninth place. But the, the story in the girls' race was it was a pretty large um, front group, and uh, and but they, they must have mucked around because the second group just drilled it and eventually caught them up, so it was one mass big big run and Nicholas Spurrig just sprinted away in the last um, last sort of 400 metres from Eileen Morrison and um, Barbara Riveros. Um, the guys' race was only on this morning and from what I read, I haven't seen much yet, uh, there was a nine-man breakaway which included uh, Johnny Brownlee and the, the Russian dudes uh, and they just crushed everybody. They had a two and a half minute lead going wow. into T2 and then just crushed everybody and Johnny Brownlee ran 30-57 and you had Russians in second you had uh, Brukankov in second Polyansky in third and Vasiliev in fourth. So the, the Russians are just machine swimmers and they just bury themselves on the bike. So they're a real powerhouse. You know, you've got second, third, fourth here. Very impressive. What time of the day is the uh, triathlon going to be on at the Olympics, John? It's pre- uh, the, the women's race for New Zealanders is primo because it's on early morning for us. So it must be. Uh, it's either on early morning. I, I don't know. They'll be in the middle of the day. The, the girls' race is probably in the morning and the guys' race will probably be in the middle of the day, I would have thought. They're usually separated um, by a, they're a day apart normally. So the question really is at the moment, is it going to be Jonathan or Alistair? <laughs> you know, like who's going to – because with Alistair being out, Jonathan's really dominated dojo. It's going to be interesting to see even what happens between those boys. Yeah, that's – I mean, uh, I think you've got those two, you know, on paper – should go one two. Alice has obviously been, been injured, so you, who knows how, how good a form he's he's going to be in. But on paper, it should be the Brownleys first, second, and Gomez third. Um, and but who knows what happens? You know, if if, if they crumble under the pressure, you know, you could, uh, yeah, uh, they might completely blow out. Um, but that's on paper what you would expect to happen as uh, Brownleys and then Gomez. How would you feel as a parent when both your kids are, you know, the best in the sport going into the Olympics? That must be really hard for a parent, eh? In what regard? Well, you know, they've both got a chance of winning the gold. You know, yeah. you're, you're going to be happy, let's say, Jonathan wins. You're going to be stoked for Jonathan, but then you'd feel gutted yeah. for Alistair as well. Yeah. I think, I think, I think they'll be pretty happy if they get a 1-2 <laughs> finish. I think they'll be pretty happy. Oh, it'd, it'd be, uh, yeah, I'd feel a bit sorry for Ma- them. Imagine, though, imagine what would happen is if they just crushed everybody and they were on the, the last lap. And they, they went across together. Went across together. That would be... That would be, uh, that would be very fascinating if that happened. Could Would you do that? Both- like in triathlon, you know, because like, in sprints they have those cameras nowadays that, you know, show, you know, it looks like they're flying through the air, which shows, you know, a millisecond seems like they're miles apart. Do they have that kind of technology in triathlon or, or would they actually just say it's a draw? They have a, they have a, um, a camera on the finish line, but if they went together, across together, I don't know what they would do. I don't, it's never happened before. They have had sprint finishes and they have had to separate people by very small margins, but that's when they're sprinting for the win. If they intentionally went across the finish line together, would they give them both the gold medal? Would that be a bad and, thing, John, or do you think it's kind of nice? I think it would be, be quite different and it would make huge headlines. Imagine yeah. the headlines for the sport. That would be, a, you know, so many sports going on at the Olympics. Yeah. If, if um, the triathlon in most countries would only get a small amount of coverage, but if they did that, that would get front, that would be a front page sport coverage. It would be awesome. Yeah, okay. There you go, Brown Leeds. You got it from us. Okay, <laughs> uh, training picks. John, what are we going to talk about this week? 
Well, no, this is, so this is um, something that Melina sent through to me, and it's, it was in, very, very interesting. It's a, it's an article on Slow Twitch that Herbert put up there, and um, and it's it's. It, one of the great things about Training Peaks is, is you can obviously analyze your power files and look at things in a bit more detail. And what happened was um, the guys at um, Slow Twitch got hold of the files, two, two files for Matt Charbolt, who is uh, an American athlete, very, very good Olympic distance athlete, uh, great. Sw- he's, he's a good all-round swim bike runner, but he's not, he doesn't have the run leg to normally get himself to a top fives at World Champ Series races. Yep. But he often, he often wins non-drafting races and often finishes in the top 10 in the uh, in, in World, World Champ Series race. So they got two files from him. They got his file from the San Diego um, World Triathlon Series race and had a look at that. Yep. And then they also got a file that he did in a non-drafting race in the Chicago race from 2011. And um, people, you know, they go on and on about um, non-drafting races being a joke and they just dawdle around the bike course and, uh, and, uh, and it's an easy ride and it just becomes a running race. Race and whatever Lance did, a shampoo, a blow dry, and a, and a, yeah. and a running race. Um, so what was interesting was in his San Diego race, his uh, his normalized power. I can't read it. I think it's three oh one watts. Uh, his training stress score was uh, was ninety nine points. When you, but what was interesting, obviously in a drafting race, he's got fifty efforts that went above 400 watts. So yep. those are big power spikes when there was surges and what have you. Then you look at his. Chicago race where it was non-drafting and so you're able to put out a much more even output. His normalized power was 308 watts, so it's only 7 watts difference. But the key thing was his variability index, which is his uh, the amount his effort changes, um, was a lot lower. So he only had um, a handful of efforts above 400 watts. And his training stress score, which is you know how much load to put on the body, was only 86 points. So what this really tells us is pretty similar, really, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it tells us that a, a drafting race is actually um, is actually harder on the body than a non-drafting race. Yeah, because uh, if you so look at if you look at this thing, his zigzags are pretty extreme in, in the drafting race, but he's going above four hundred all the time. So whereas everyone's mm. more even, but the drops he's only got a couple of little drops, hasn't he? Yeah, so those surges is what really it kills your legs a lot more. So uh, it's really interesting to see that a non-drafting race uh, is. Uh, is a little bit easier on his body than drafting race. But what was really interesting, Matt Chabot is, is normally one of the guys that's on the front on the bike at, at a World Champ Series race and really trying to break away. He's very strong on the bike. But at San Diego, and I watched a lot of the race, he didn't spend that much time on the front. I think he tried to get away once or twice. Um, but when you look at somebody like Johnny Brownlee who won the race, he was on the front heaps and heaps trying to drive the pack. And so if you looked at his numbers, he, he would have been putting out even higher numbers than Chabot and in the uh, in the in yeah. the draft race. So uh, anybody who says that a, that a non-drafting race is easy, um, think again. How cool would it to be to be like one of the Brownleys right now when you're when you're in a race and you know you can attack the field on the bike, just keep you know demoralising them by keep attacking them, and still have the confidence in your run to know you can run away. How must that mm. feel as an athlete? It must be the best feeling. Well, he's first out of the swim as well. That's what we've got to remember. He's his fastest, fastest couple of swimmers. He's the fastest runner, and he's always driving the pace on the bike. So the intimidation factor is yeah. massive. Yeah. Wow, it's mm. pretty awesome. So, so this is a really good example of where Training Peaks at Rock. So it can give you really good data around the different types of training you do and the effects that it all has towards your bigger picture, doesn't it? It is, and so what you're going to see, and we'll start um, producing this a bit more, is, is more and more athletes are making 
some of their race data available. Um, so you can, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to possibly do this with uh, when we do some of our rides here. I haven't got um, a power meter on the bike, but to give people an idea of what the Kona course is like and what sort of effort we're going at, um, I'm going to, you know, look at um, updating some stuff and then I can release my my information out there and, and quite a few of the pro athletes do that as well. So if you, um, we'll, we'll, we'll sort of share which ones are doing what and you can see sort of what efforts that the top guys are, uh, are doing at races. Hey guys, we, we did an interview with Melina, also trainingpeaks.com, make sure you check out uh, discount code, go to our website www.iamtalk.me and we've got a link and it can take you through and you can get the discount. Um, I am talk, is it John? Yes. Yep. Um, but we had Miss Melina around uh, last Wednesday night, wasn't it? Or Thursday night? And uh, mm-hmm. we did the next Legends of Triathlon. And to be honest, with Melina, we probably could have kept him for another couple of hours because he's got so many great stories. But we're going to be releasing that early next week on the 1st of June. But while while I was doing my prep for it, on Melina's Facebook page, she put the link to the usatriathlon.org where they had all the speeches from Dave, Scott, Scott Tinley, Melina. Oh, no, it wasn't Dave Scott. It was Mark Allen, Scott Tinley, Melina, and a couple other people who won the awards. And I highly recommend you guys watch these interviews. I mean, watch these speeches. They're just really, really great. So um, just as a side note, go check them out. I'll put a link to that on our www.imtalk.me. Did you check them out? I have not checked them out yet, No. They're really, really good because it's quite yeah. nice because all the boys are there together and uh, they're giving each other a bit of banter, but they're also being quite honest and raw and, and Melina will be the first one to say you got a bit tearful at times, so it was it was pretty cool. Nice. Challenge and- challenge training camp, so uh, fitter.co.unz is uh, having a camp. Seth Bevan McKinnon, who we interviewed on the show a while ago, they're doing a camp down in Wanaka between the 23rd and 25th of November. So for people that want to check out the course and, uh, and just have a good good time, check that out. You can go to Challenge Wanaka website and uh, it's got more details on there. Okay, John, discussion of the week. Last week's discussion of the Hold week. on, Bevan. Hold on. SLS try, Bevan. Don't go, don't go skip an SLS try. Oh. I've got my- I've got okay. my new fancy. Uh, I've got they made us bike jerseys for the camp over here, so all the guys are looking extremely stylish in their bike jerseys. And if you want to look extremely stylish, especially you girls, I've got some funky stuff on the funky designs on the girls side of things. I've got their their tri um, race tops. I've got their compression shorts, and they've got these nice little sort of Kona flower themes on there. And uh, I've got the tri suit. Um, so remember to use the code IMTalk, and you get a, a nice discount off any purchases there. And also, if you want to be stylish with the compression socks um, they've got the butterfly compression socks so they're a nice light blue but butterflies on them compression socks if you're feeling like you're looking a bit geeky when you wear compression socks you are but these ones are, are going to make you look styly very good okay well this week's discussion Pete Rumley sent through this week's discussion do you think that the Ironman organisation oh no we've already done that one this week's discussion Stuart Moore sent through this week's discussion yes how do you train for an Ironman on three hours training a week John's changed this a little bit for those who train for less than 10 hours a week how do you make that work do you want to start yep Brett Samet quality versus quantity okay Scott Morsh has got um, hopefully under 17 hours by race day you don't do at the Olympics and maybe halves until the time you've prepared otherwise you end up being on the 350 plus that pull out of the water and it just gets rough or the under 150 you don't make the cut off on the bike because the wind was blowing so nice Mark Chapman says it's not really possible if you did five hours then it's possible as you should always swim one hour and run one hour each week probably best in two sessions um, the cycle should be in one session nice Frank McVie 
I did my first Ironman in 2003 in Lanzagrotti with only a 75 mile bike two weeks before due to a dislocated ankle. Not fast and not pretty, but all it needed was a bit of heart. Lucy Francis says you need at least a minimum of 12 hours training per week. Oh, oh you, don't want to, you don't want to go further? Oh, we're, we're paraphrasing here, Bevan. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, you, you need a long bike and a, and a run session to develop the mental toughness for the race. You'll also be less nervous on the race day because you're better prepared. Okay, Tim, the tennis star, Hemming. Um, if you build your training into your lifestyle through biking and commutes, uh, quick sessions for lunch times, stay active with your other hobbies, build in core work, squats when you're brushing your teeth or sit-ups when you wake up in the morning, you'll be surprised at how much additional training you can fit in. Start by taking a holistic approach to your whole day-to-day life. Do I want to do this? Will I enjoy this? Can I alter my lifestyle just enough to make it happen? If yes to all three, then you will succeed. Stuart Moore said uh, he, he, he said that Peter Coulson only trained three hours a week for Ironman Melbourne and still went 12 hours. Wow, that's pretty impressive. And he's given further details if people want to uh, check that out. Okay, uh, David Yates has got three hours a week. Maybe possible if you have oddities of talent and five years of mileage under the belt, but you'll be well off your potential. There will be former elites who can do 10 hour times in 10 hours a week, but for the rest of us, 10 hours a week, five hours bike, three hour run, two hours of swimming. Will Cannon, three hours a week, WTF. Loving <laughs> it. LOL. LOL, Will. LOL. LOL. <laughs> <laughs> Make it uh, all time in the pool. If you can get through the swim, you'll actually have a chance of finishing the race. Uh-huh. If, if you're training less than 10 hours a week, your goal is clearly just to finish. Okay, well, we'll just finish off James Wise on Boto. In three hours a week, you can practice washing your hair, blow drying, and doing a 10K. Much more fun racing shorter distances than trying to compete in Ironman. One of the Craig Kirk would also said Shazam. A few people said Shazam, so it was nice to see that a number of people did actually listen to all last week's show. Yeah, they got through to the end, which is really good. So, John, your thoughts? You're the coach. Um, well, I, th- I think we're going to look at the, the actual race build-up period as well. Like, I don't think you need to be training um, 10 hours plus uh, year-round. Well, it, it would certainly help, but I don't think you absolutely need to. And so much of it just depends on people's background. Like, if you and I were to, wanted to go and do an Ironman, we could go and do one on three hours training a week. A lot of people who've got some sort of reasonable sporting background could probably get through it, but it wouldn't be very pretty. You know, if you did three hours a week, or if I did, it wouldn't be pretty. Uh, so I think what people need to focus on is if they're, if they're going to do Ironman, it's a, it's a big expense, just the entry fee alone. If you do some of the, the championship races, they're like a thousand bucks to enter. Um, you know, you spend a bit, bit more obviously getting there and hotels and what have you. I think people really need to commit to doing um, at least, say, a 12 week build up where they can they can be averaging over 12 hours and, and I think if people are really struggling on time, um, my advice would be is, you know, you've got to schedule in some long rides and, and worst case scenario, you know, looking at doing those every second week so, you know, if you can get out for a decent ride every second week and then on alternate week, weeks maybe do, do your long run um, So if you, or even go on three week cycles where you go one week where you do a long ride, one week where you do a long run one week where you do a, a long brick session and I think those, you know, your endurance sessions are going to be critical. If you can't swim, if you're a poor, poor swimmer and you try to get by um, with, with uh, it'll be just It'll be ugly. And, and being in the water for two hours and 20 minutes or longer is, uh, is going to put a real big dent into your day. So my, my main bit of advice is, you know, um, 
more is not necessarily always better, but I think you need to be approaching that around that 10 hour mark a week to give yourself a realistic shot of having a, a, an enjoyable day for the for the, say a, a, a 10 to 15 week build up. And if you're really struggling on time, try to break it down into three week cycles, one week long ride, one week long break, one week long run, and uh, and try to get a half Ironman in there if you can. And then uh, jobs are good and but three hours a week, it's, it's not going to be pretty. Yeah, it does come down to what kind of experience you want to have. But then at the same time, for a lot of people that may not be able to commit that time, and so three hours a week, a week is pretty extreme. And so you kind of go, well, probably don't look at doing an Ironman. But yeah, for the 10-hour person, it really is – you know, if you are going to go for more quality, then you do need to make sure you put in your rest strategy in as well, don't you? Mm. And quality's yeah. I agree with quality, but but what does quality really mean? You know, if you're going out there and uh, and doing a huge amount of sprint training, or some people might consider going out and doing um, half Ironman effort as quality. I think if you're doing that uh, a lo- at the lower end of the volume scale, you're not going to benefit a lot from just going out for easy spins and stuff. The workouts, instead of maybe saying quality, a better word probably needs to be really, really specific. And uh, and doing recovery workouts and stuff like that is probably not going to be a luxury you have. You know, you need to be more, much, much more specific. You know, for somebody who's doing say a a fifteen to twenty hour week, you know, I might be prescribing that person to go for a, for a two hour easy spin after their their long ride as a recovery um, recovery type session. But if you're doing low volume, you should you shouldn't be doing that sort of stuff. Mm. Okay, uh, sponsor is Extreme Endurance. Hold on, what are we going to discuss this week? Oh, this week, well, um, Duran dropped the base bosso has sent through this one, and it's. I think Matthew Binz is not going to be too happy with this one. But we'll, <laughs> but, but we'll do it. Get off my lawn, he'll probably say. But he's saying, what? Oh, who are the most attractive male and female triathletes out there? Now, John, are we doing Ironman or are we doing triathlete? And they've got to be pro. We've got to be pro athletes. Okay. Um, oh, and I'm not too fussed, Bevan. You know? um, okay, just I athletes? Just, you, you tell me to keep picking out the, the discussion topics from people who've sent in, so that's what I'm doing. So uh, just just sort of put that out there. Okay. If you're gonna if you're gonna post on this, can you can you post pictures on Facebook or not? I don't well, know. Well, you could post a link to a photo. Right there, you go. Yep. That's that's a, that's a requirement. If you're gonna say who's most attractive, you need to get a nice link for them as well. Okay, then there we go. So uh, sponsor. Extreme endurance. I'm quite, I'm looking forward to spreading the extreme endurance uh, gospel this week because uh, everybody on the camp is getting a nice little um, extreme endurance pack, and one of, that's one of the cool things that they they do is if you've got the little travel packs you can get. So if you're going off to a race or you're, and you're going away for a short period of time, uh, especially when you've got to try to cut down on the amount of things you, you're taking, you know, just having a little travel pack um, is awesome. So you can get them on uh, xendurance.com and uh, you always use your code IMTALK to get your nice little discount. And uh, it's good. There's, there's people um, that have turned up on the camp who who, have, who don't listen to the podcast and they haven't heard of Extreme Endurance and they're pretty excited about using it. And they don't listen to the podcast. They don't listen to the podcast. I've been wrapping them around the years already, I tell you that. Yeah, and good. then um, we've got guys like Rick Lard who's here as well as one of the support crew and, and, and uh, one of the girls said, oh, I haven't heard of Extreme Endurance and he just started telling her all about it, say, saying all the good things. So the proof's in the pudding. It's not an expensive experiment to try if you want to give it a, give it a, give it a crack. You know, just go to um, xendurance.com, use the code I'm talk. Uh, it's about 30 bucks for a little container which lasts you um, a month and if you do that combined in with some sort of race or hard workout at the end when you really get to see um, the proof's in the pudding when you finish those events and you often get really, really sore legs. Um, what, what we find is that um, it really reduces that inflammation post-race and the, the DOMS you experience. So, so check, check, 
check it out at xendurance.com. Go, John, go to www.imtalk.me right now. Right, right here, right now? Yeah, can you do right. that? Yeah, I can. Okay, so That's last great. week, was that? It's great not being at your place. I can actually connect to the internet. Yeah, it's amazing. So, <laughs> so do you see the photo that I've got on the front page this week? Yes, I was disturbed about that when I saw it last week. Well, I was on Facebook a few, a few weeks ago and I saw this photo of Mecca. Now, I don't know where he's racing. Oh, I didn't realise that was Mecca. Yeah, it's okay. Mecca. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Mecca's racing somewhere in the world and there's a bunch of around maybe 12 guys running behind yeah. Mecca, butt naked, drinking beers, and Mecca's got a big cheesy smile on his face. It's pretty funny. <laughs> but I don't know the story behind the photo. And a few people emailed me through saying, what's the story behind the photo this week? And I just saw it on Facebook. I thought it's pretty funny. I'll put it on the website. So yeah. if you want to check it out, go to www.iamtalk.me. A few boys' woolies are pointing up because the momentum is their run. They're not that excited to be by Mecca. It's just momentum. But but I wonder where it was. Do you think maybe Keynes last year? It's a pretty disturbing picture. Um, I, I would be picking Ken's last year. That, that would be my pick. It's it's a very Aussie thing to, to do, and uh, and so I'm picking Ken's because he hasn't he doesn't race in Australia very often. I can't I can't pick a bunch of Americans doing that. No, it's very it it? <laughs> Did you not realise it was Mecca? So you just thought I was putting pictures of naked men up on the website? Well, I knew I could see there was somebody racing there, but I didn't oh. look at it really closely. And uh, yeah, it's pretty obvious now that I look at it. <laughs> that pretty, is that's pretty wrong. That is, that is that's wrong. Cold. <laughs> Stupid bloody Aussies. Bloody Australians, you Australians. Uh, anyway, Matt Steinmetz, he's not going to be on now. And Matt Steinmetz, give us a quick history, John. Uh, so he's one of uh, Crowey's advisors, and you'll sort of hear more about his intro when, when we do that. And, and he, uh, you know, Crowey had a magnificent ride last year, and uh, and a big part of that comes down to his training. But he did also really try to fine tune his equipment choices. And uh, uh, whilst I don't think that made the the difference in terms of you look at his, where he was positioned in 2011 versus 2010, uh, I think a big, big part of it was the training. But uh, certainly, oh, those small bits helped, didn't they? But they do, and that was the whole thing. It becomes much more Lance-like, you know. I think Lance was Armstrong was the guy that did all the stuff, and he was a bit of a pioneer. He he really just looked for every single second, and there's so many pros out there that don't do that, you know. They've just got a standard setup, but if you add lots and lots of things in there, um, it, it, it does make a difference. It all counts, especially at that level where seconds means mm. the difference between winning and losing. So here it is, Matt Steinmetz. Right, today we have um, a man that knows a lot about what goes on inside our bodies and what and, and the use of equipment. He advises God. a lot of the a lot of the pro athletes out there, and uh, and just one of those guys that uh, takes us inside the, the bit of the science of, of of what's going on in our sports. Name's Matt Steinmetz. So welcome along to the show, Matt. Thanks for having me, guys. Cool. So you, you, you work with, um, uh, well, you, you advise people, you do sports science work. Just give us a bit of a, a summary of, of, of the things that you do from um, you know, advising triathletes. So basically what I like to do is I just like to look at all areas of performance, not just you know, the X's and O's. I think um, as athletes, we always concentrate on, on really trying to become better at moving forward. But sometimes we pay little attention to, you know, forces and, and, and other things that prohibit us from becoming faster athletes. So, you know, I, I dabble a little bit and, and a little bit, you know, basically a little bit of everything to where, you know, we're doing some of the coaching stuff, um, looking at equipment, um, different, um, you know, science research and stuff that you can use to kind of, you know, find gains for an athlete. But then also just really... Um, 
you know, practicing stuff in the real world and being being open minded and trying not to to fall into a tradition just because something's been done a certain way over over you know a period of time. You know, kind of looking and analyzing things to say, okay, well, why is this done? And if we did it differently, could we become become better athletes? So um, one of the one of the guys that I really first started working with that that allowed me the opportunity to kind of come in and 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 listen to me was was Craig Alexander. You can take a guy like Craig Alexander, and he's obviously done a lot right. And so it's not like someone like him, you know, he need, he's coming to me saying, you know, teach me the way or whatever. Because mm-hmm. actually, it's probably a little bit the other way around. You know, he I'm learning a lot from him, and. And he's, you know, like I said, he's doing a lot right. So we're not, we're not going out to try and re- reinvent the wheel for someone like him. We're, we're, we're trying to find the little things that, that can give him um, an improvement in performance. And, you know, a guy like him, he's looking for a couple percent. You know, he's not trying to knock 30 minutes off his, you know, his Ironman PB. You know, it's just the small little things that, that w- would allow him um, to improve. And I guess you're exactly right there. So many people just focus on the, the training and they think if I absolutely nail my training, I'm going to um, you know, just have an incredible performance. But they, they often go into the race with, with hardly even a nutrition plan. They don't have much of a, a mental plan. They maybe haven't looked at, at equipment. And, and, and one area where we know you can get um, fairly significant improvements um, both in terms of speed and, and also power output is, is sort of through bike fitting. And I, I know that's an area you've had quite a bit of experience in. So, you know, it's a, it's a real challenge though, bike fitting. There's so many different ways it can be done and there's so many different people t- saying that they're the experts in, in bike fitting and you must have it done this way to be any good or otherwise you're going to fail. For, 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 the, for the age groupers out there, I mean, where, where's a good starting point in terms of figuring out... Um, where they could get a bike fit done or, or, or how to actually get it done so they know they're, they're set up appropriately? You know, first of all, you're exactly right. I mean, you know, looking at the way you move and, and, your, and your biomechanics, it's, it's a huge, you know, because we, I mean, we're definitely in a sport where there's just a lot of linear movement and we have, you know, the chances for overuse injury. And also, like I said, you know, we were talking about resistive forces. I mean, our, our goal is to be able to, to be as efficient as we can and that doesn't just mean, you know, power. That means, um, you know, aerodynamics and comfort because, you know, you have to be able to sustain your, your bike position for the duration of your event or, you know, there's something needs to be, something needs to be looked at. So, you know, the, the big thing with, with cycling is, and, and bike fitting, that there, there is no one way to, to do everything. And I think when you have someone who's not open-minded about, um, you know, trying something different. That's where you, you know, if, if you have, if you have a bike fitter who's saying, this is the way, this is your perfect position. That's not really the case because, you know, we're, we're looking at a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, kind of kinematic data and body angles and it's, and it's very dynamic. You know, people sit differently, sit differently on the bike. So it's very important that, you know, you have an open mind and you listen to client feedback. I mean, obviously you're going to have your, your own kind of ways of, you know, in general, this is how I think, you know, someone should be positioned to board a bicycle. And, you know, we're talking, you know, about triathlon here and the whole purpose of, you know, that, you know, having, I guess, a, a different, a triathlon bike is 
for aerodynamics. So what we're looking to do is we're looking to be able to rotate the body and, and lay the person across the front end while, you know, minimizing, um, you know, the aerodynamic drag, but allowing them to still produce power. So that's where, you know, the steep seat tube angles have come in and the aero bars. So, you know, I think, I think a good, a good um, place to kind of look at is first, you know, body posture. Are you able to anteriorly rotate your pelvis forward and support yourself on the front end of, you know, of your bike without using, you know, a lot of energy to, to support yourself up there. And then from there, it's just, you know, you use a little bit of science, a little bit of fitter knowledge and a little bit of client feedback because a client really needs to be part of the process. You know, I, I don't care what sort of, um, tool or whatever you're using to, to, uh, you know, handle your, your data capturing or your, or your, you know, measuring of angles. But, you know, you're not going to sit there and tell the client that, hey, you know, all, all of these angles look awesome. How do you feel? And they're going to tell you, oh, I feel like crap. You're not going to say, well, too bad. You know, you, you, they're really, they're, they're definitely part of, of, of the process of, of the bike fit. So it's hard to really explain what the, kind of where the starting point is because it, it really dives into the, to the art of, of bike fitting. I think a fitter has to have a really good knowledge of, you know, what, what does an aero position look like and what are the what are the components of a good aero position and it's you know it's power production aerodynamics and comfort can it be done remotely because obviously not everybody lives in a place where um they're going to have a good bike fitter in their town um is that something that you can do remotely or not i think you can do a pretty good job of of doing something remotely it's it takes a little bit longer because the back and forth isn't quite as um, it's not quite as easy. I mean, you could you could obviously do something on Skype uh, via the video, mm-hmm. and you know mo- most of the time it's it you know it's pretty dang close when you you know and you can look at a rider and say okay you you're you're pretty you're pretty close with this. But you know the way I like to work is I'm I love making data driven decisions. So you know I I do like being able to, uh, you know, just as, as a doctor would use, you know, an, an ultrasound or MRI or some sort of diagnostic tool, you know, I mean, the doctor still has to know how to, how to, you know, use that tool properly. So I think having some sort of good, good tool to use, you know, like a, like a retool system or like Dartfish or video is, is very important. So sometimes there's some things that could get messed up or, or lost and doing something remotely like hmm. that, but I think once it's closed, you can do it. You can do a pretty good job of of doing some sort of um, remote fit. I'm not I'm not uh, aware of a lot of like remote bike fit businesses, but I imagine hmm. that they're out there. You know, for a lot of people who are getting, in, especially in your people of sport, they don't have much flexibility in, in their hamstrings and their lower back and stuff like that. You know, how big, how important is flexibility for your bike setup? And then, you know, should our athletes look into improving or will all that just come from riding? You know, I, I think the industry kind of goes back and forth on on how flexible do you really need to be to ride a bike. And I don't think it really goes into flexibility per se, but more kind of range of motion. Yep. Um, you know, like, you know, we'll go through, you know, a physical assessment to try to learn, you know, about the body. But a lot of times I'll, I'll find that 
people that don't look so great off the bike hop on a bike and you know they're magnificent so i think i think flexibility and core strength and all that it's it's hard to say i think at one end if it, if it's very very poor it could compromise your bike fit but i think most of the time you know we we look at um restrictions like in in the joint or or some sort of re- restriction to range of motion more so than can can someone bend over and touch their palms to the floor yeah. i don't i definitely don't think that it's a bad thing like if someone comes in and and they are you know very flexible have great range of motion have excellent core strength you know, I, I think that it, it is beneficial to them, but I also don't necessarily think that that's it's always a limiter. And I don't know, I don't know how flexible you really need to be to, um, you know, ride a, ride a good bike position. I think you know, I, I definitely think it has to fit within the bell curve. I don't think you can be extremely unflexible or inflexible and and ride a bike. But it's just something that I don't, I don't really have a strong stance on. Um, either way, but I think it's something that over the course of time, you know, we'll learn a little bit more about. So the, all, all the age groupers out there don't need to go and try to get into Bjorn Anderson's position where his handlebars are, uh, are basically sitting on top of his front wheel. Yeah, I've seen I've seen Bjorn's position. He's basically, you know, he's got his got his chin rubbing the front wheel. <laughs> you know, some some people can can definitely uh, can ride a position like that. It, it, I think. You know the cool thing about a TT position is it's very very adaptable. There's if you took someone that has never ridden a TT bike before and you put them in the in the most perfect TT position um, that you could possibly put them in, it's not going to feel great to them at first because it's it's not a natural posture that that you know the human skeleton wants to wants to take. So they're going to have a little bit of a little bit of neck pain, a little bit of shoulder pain. And I wouldn't even call it pain. I actually, you know, I didn't, I didn't really use that word correctly. Mm. I, I would say more discomfort. Mm. You know, it's been a while. You know, I, I mainly ride a, a road bike now, and it's been a few years since I've been on a TT bike. But you know, I used to be able to sit in my road position for five or six hours, and if you threw me on a TT bike in that exact same position right now, I mean, I, I'd probably last about ten minutes. So, mm. you know, that's another thing: is the more time you spend in the aero position. You know, the better and the more success that you're going to be there. So you have to, and you have to. It's something that needs to be needs to be practiced. Yeah. So, you know, if you do have a bit, you know, a, a limitation in your range of motion, or you know, there's something that you could work on um, with some sort of, you know, functional movement or or stretching or you know whatever it may be that could help you get in that better position. You know, I think it's worth worth the, the commitment. So you know, last year we saw um, a new course record on Kona that um, nobody thought was going to be broken for I don't know for for a long, long time. But um, Craig Alexander had an incredible day there. We saw his bike performance, um, which was improved, probably the surprise of the day, yeah, wasn't improved it? Improved massively, and is obviously on a different bike. And um, people were yahooing that there was it was all about the bike um, making a massive difference. But I'm sure Craig made some uh, adjustments to his training as well. What what did you go through with Craig? Because as you said, you know he, he probably knows his training fairly fairly well, and he's obviously really well conditioned having been training and racing for so many years so what sort of change, changes did you bring to the table well it was very interesting because and you know I, I got introduced to Craig in 2009 and you know I kind of was just there to help him a little bit with his you know his, some of the stuff on the bike but you know I, I was just, you know I, I'm still you know pretty young and I was I was new to working with you know a lot of the high-end 
athlete. So, you know, I kind of just let him do his own thing. I was like, yeah, you look good. And then over, over the course of, you know, the end of that year in 2010, you know, we, we started kind of developing a, you know, a, a friendship to where I, you know, I felt comfortable, you know, saying, Hey, I think you should try this. And, and, you know, you don't give them everything at once. You, you give them some suggestions, you let them try it. You know, they come back to you and said, I really like that, that worked. And you start to really earn their, earn their confidence. And, you know, so in 2010, you know, we did, we, we changed his bike size. We changed the way he, you know, he, he postured on the bike. We started looking at it at a setup and he had a really, really, you know, great regular season. I think he won eight seventy point threes. And we even did some stuff where we went out to Kona and, and I did some core temp testing on him where I had him swallow, um, a pill that I was able to use a device to measure his core temp while exercising. Wow. And we really wanted to go in there and look at, you know, the whole aerial helmet debate and, you know, hydration and, and just look at the little tiny details where, you know, at that point in time we were like, well, nothing really needs to change with the training. You know, you just need to get back to the same shape you're in. You've won the previous two years. And, you know, what are the little things, you know, besides that that we can work on? And, you know, we learned some cool things out there, but it was pretty inconclusive on the, on the, you know, some of the aero helmet stuff. And, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and and one thing I really like is, you know, do you, you know, in, in Crowey's decision, you know, because ultimately I, you know, I left that up to him. You know, do you in two thousand ten? It's like, do you change something, you know, from from two thousand eight and two thousand nine before it's been proven to you that it that it's not going to work. So at the end, at the end, you know. He was in very, very good shape. Rode, rode the bike a little bit, you know, the first the first bit of the bike, you know, a little bit too aggressive because he knew that, you know, people had their eye on him and they were going to try to drop him and that whole thing. So he got a little aggressive there and, and you know, had a, had a strong ride, but it, it just, you know, he was going to have to change in 2011 if he wanted to, to compete because, you know, it, the tactics started to change, and, and I really think that it's great that he was like, you know, okay, I need to, uh, you know, if I want to continue to get better, I, I need to look at some different things. So something that, you know, he was he was pretty much like, okay, I'm, I'm all game for all this stuff you've been, you know, kind of preaching to me. And so we started looking at it. You know, we started looking at, you know, all, all of your competitors that beat you in Kona wore an arrow helmet. So does it... You know, there's there's a lot of studies and stuff out there, you know, on core temperature, but no one's ever looked at this aero helmet, road helmet sort of thing. We were like, well, we don't have to we don't have to study, you know, have some sort of scientific research article that's going to tell us when, you know, that it's good or bad when your competitors that beat you, they're wearing one and they beat you. You do really well in the heat. We're wearing an aero helmet. So, you know, it wasn't just like any old aero helmet either. You know, we, we really wanted to make everything needed to be a data-driven decision. Craig's an athlete that's able to, you know, his sponsors want him to do good, so they're going to give him tools and, and resources to help him improve. So, you know, we went to the wind tunnel. Mm-hmm. Went to the wind tunnel and we tested, you know, a bunch of different helmets. We did a bunch of different head positions. I, I was always kind of on Craig because he's always looking down at his power meter, and I'm like, dude, quit putting the tail of your aero helmet you know, mm. sky high, you know, you need to keep it, you know, down with your back. Well, it turns out in the wind tunnel for him, it's faster when he looks down and it's not because he's dropping his head or getting really low or anything, just for some reason with the way he's shaped, you know, the, the tail, tail in the air was faster for him. So oh, really? you know, it was awesome. 
but you know, I've been in the wind tunnel with a, with a lot of other athletes, and that's not the case. But it, it was reassuring knowing that, you know, because when you look down, it's a neutral spine, so it's it usually feels mm-hmm. more comfortable as long as you're not not wrecking your bike. But <laughs> and, and normally, it's an arrow penalty to do something like that. But you know, for him, it, it was it was faster, and the and the and the the drag just went down. So I was relieved in that, relieved at that, and then you know. We ended up changing every piece of equipment pretty much that he used. And, I mean, it's, it's down to the detail of the chain lube that we use. Hmm. You know, we're just looking at every little tiny thing because, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of people will kind of look and say, well, is that, big enough? is that a big enough gain to, to, to deal with? And it's like you add up all those small, small details and you end up with, with, a, with a big gain. You know, we're looking at his sunglasses, where he's putting his race number belt, his bottle set up. And so if you look at, you know, if you look at the setup, you know, yes, switching, switching bike frames was a marginal gain. It Mm. gave him, you know, it gave him free speed. Was it, you know, was it the, you know, we selected that bike for, for various reasons. Um, and the specialized bike allows us to, to store hydration very well because, you know, adding a bottle to a frame has a bigger impact on on drag than you know the differences between one frame to the other. So hmm. a lot of these frames, you know, the the top of the line frames are all very very comparable as far as how how fast or slow they are compared to each other. Adding a adding a round bottle to a frame is it makes a bigger difference. So if we with with the the specialized bike, we were able to not run a bottle on the frame, and we were able to think of very very smart and logical places, logical places to store, you know, nutrition and fluid where it would have where it would have zero impact on on drag. So, you know, we we changed that, changed um, changed some tires. You know, just we looked we looked at pretty much everything that we could, and and it and it really paid off. As far as the as far as the training, you know, cr- what we what we what we changed is. He would always do a lot of a lot of long, enduring, you know, mentally strengthening like endurance sessions, mm-hmm. and it got to the point where his his threshold and his ability and his top end, which is great, you know, and he shows how great it is, you know, during the course of the regular season, but his his Kona build would actually it would lift up his steady state, but it would but it would bring down his threshold. Mm-hmm. So he was able to ride like he had in you know the previous three years at a very you know high high steady state effort, but any of these like accelerations and, and, and attacks, he didn't really have that in his physiology because you know he had kind of narrowed narrowed that zone you know mm-hmm. through his training. Well, that's one thing we looked at as we 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 started thinking, okay, you know you've been in the sport for a long time, you've done a lot of hard work that that endurance that you have isn't going to go away. So we, we started taking away some of those sessions that really didn't make him fit and, and just made him tired and focused on some, some really race-specific um, sessions. And, you know, the, the, the sessions he used to do that were just long and enduring, you know, he would do to, to give him confidence. And, you know, he's been there. He's done that. You know, he doesn't need to prove to himself that, um, you know, he needs to do some 20 mile run off the bike anymore. It, it just makes him tired. It doesn't add to his fitness profile. So, you know, we, we got rid of a lot of, a lot of that stuff. We kept, you know, we, it's always a proper blend and a proper mix and, and 
Craig's very, very intelligent when it comes to to his training and, you know, just trying to just changing a few of those workouts. It didn't take a lot. And, and I think that's where you saw, you know, his, his success in Kona and, you know, more, more than, more than, you know, all this equipment changing and the, and the training, you know, it, it was his attitude, you know, it was his, you know, he was like, I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to, I'm going to back myself on the bike. I'm going to, I'm going to ride aggressively. You know, if this race gets, if this race gets nasty, you know, I have, I have, I have excellent biomechanics, you know, if it's, if we have to go to war, that's where he's going to excel. So, I mean, if, if you've noticed in, in, you know, Hawaii and Melbourne, you know, the, the races are, are very, you know, he races aggressively and he, you know, and he backs it up. He's not kind of sitting back and giving people big leads and then, you know, making the run look pretty. Might, it might look, might not look the prettiest the last, you know, five to 10 K, but you know, he's getting it done. And how did his, his power files sort of compare from, you know, last year when he won to the year before when he was, what, fourth and then, and then the other couple of years when he would won? Were they significantly different or fairly similar? They're, they're not significantly different. They're, the averages and everything end up being very similar. What, what's different is where, how he distributes the power. So it's, it's almost being a little bit patient and kind of in evenly distributing the power. I mean, all, all those guys, and a lot of it's like the wind and, and kind of the terrain, but the last hour of everyone's power file is pretty low. But I, I think those first couple, I think the first, basically until you get to the bottom of high V, I think it's how you distribute that power. Some people just get way, way out of control mm-hmm. um, early in that bike course and then kind of kind of struggle you know, once they make that turn off the Queen K, go through Kwai High and start to climb up to High V, and and last in 2000, I keep I keep getting all the years mixed up. 2010, <laughs> you know, Craig was a little bit more aggressive early on, and then when when the attacks kind of came um, on High V, you know, he he had already had to close down and shut down a lot of gaps because people aren't gonna aren't really gonna work with him and. I always think it sounds funny talking about a group working together in a, in a race that, mm-hmm. that is supposed to be an individual time trial. But you know the way the the way the rules are, it's just it's it's the it's kind of how it is. So you know everyone was kind of isolating Craig a little bit in 2010, and I think rather than being a little bit patient, you know he was quick to shut down gaps. So when it you know when it came to the climb of, up to high V, you know his power was great, but he just didn't he he wasn't ready to. To really go well over and up to his threshold, and and last year it's almost like a Tour de France climb where you know the pace gets set and it and it's, and it's high enough, no one's really going to want to try and attack. Mm. So you know that front group with um, I think there was four or five of those guys. I mean they they set a pretty hot pace up to high V, and no one really it was so high no one really wanted to go, and the power on the way back so. You know, I think the power is always pretty similar, but it's just it's just like I said how it was distributed. You know, a little patient in the beginning, and then you know get stronger as as the race goes on, or or at least not fade. And and for you as a um, advisor, coach, <clears throat> sports scientist, I know you use Training Peaks, and there's a couple of files of Crowe's build up to Ironman Melbourne up there. Just a few few sort of general sessions. But how do you sort of use is, is Training Peaks what you use to to monitor things um, when you when you're not there with with Crowe doing doing sessions, and and how do you sort of get the most out of it? 
Yeah, the Training Peaks is great because what happens is I get every every time there's a workout and after the session I get an email, so I'm not always having to like, you know, hunt hunt files down. If I see something interesting that I need to go look at, I mean, if Craig's just doing a standard endurance ride, I mean, it's a staple of every athlete's um, training. I don't really need to go in there and analyze that file, but you know, w what's awesome about it is you know, post-analysis of, of race data and then key sessions. And with that email to my, to my phone when Craig's not in town, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to sit there and talk to him on the phone every day. It's cool because he can, you know, he knows the session, then he can sit there and write his comments in there because, you know, I, I, I rely very, very heavily on athlete feedback and training peaks is kind of that, that medium that allows, you know, a coach and, um, athletes to communicate in a pretty efficient manner. So, you know, I, that's, that's kind of my biggest mode of communication when athletes aren't here in Boulder is using the, using the training peaks. And even, even with these top, top athletes, what, what's cool is I love race data because then that's especially, you know, a good race because you can then take some of those, you know, take that power file and the normalized power and the different sections of the course and break that down. And then I can just talk to them in that language. Like it's easier instead of instead of sitting here and having all these, you know, different, you know, physiological terms and zones, you know, no one can ever agree on what zone one is or what steady is. I can actually talk to them in their specific, you know, pace by saying, Okay, Crowy, I want you to do three by ten minutes at half Ironman power on five minutes easy. So when I say that, I don't even have to get into specifics because we have actual race data and power data of successful races to be able to know, okay, what are the requirements, you know, in training that need to be met. And so that makes things super easy to, to, to communicate with the athlete. And so you, you obviously talked a lot about Crowey, and I know you've got a, a number of other sort of pro athletes that you're working with, but do you, do you also work with, uh, with, with age group athletes? Yeah, I'm starting to um, pretty soon. Um, I'll have mattsteinmetz.com, and that's going to be where you know I, I can start taking on a lot more um, age group athletes. And I'm also you know kind of creating a, a you know a team around me and and to help with that. And and that's basically kind of one of the big things that that I'm able to do is you know, you can't do, you can't know everything. And, and one thing I really like to do is, is rely on, you know, and delegate stuff to people who are experts in their, in their field. So, I, you know, I rely a lot on, you know, I have a close uh, partner, uh, his name's Chuck Panachone at Superfly Cycles. Mm. And he is kind of my, you know, mechanical genius type guy. I mean, he, if there's anything latest and greatest in bearings, chain lube, you know, if you need something drilled out and, and modified, he's he's kind of my guy. I turn to. Um, I have a, a doctor who does a lot of a lot of blood work, so it you know it helps me, you know, see, look at nutrition stuff, look at um, hormone levels, look at uh, fatigue, and just look at the health of the athlete, and you know, and also provide some of their you know medical if an athlete gets sick or. And his name's Dr. Uh, Garrett Rock. Mm -hmm. And so I, I've always kind of tried to build this, this team around me. And that's one thing that, that um, MattSteinmetz.com, um, and eventually that'll be branded as some, some sort of business name. But mm. 
we haven't come up with anything yet, but that's what I want to give access to to age groupers is is becoming part of you know part of the part of this team so they have an expert looking at, at a lot of different um, areas of performance for them so you know we can provide the x's and o's of coaching we can provide you know someone already has a coach i work with work with a ton of athletes that already have you know coaches like cliff english and matt dixon and they send a lot of their athletes to me because there's a lot of other other kind of services where you know you can help that coach and make their athlete faster you know with the with the bike fitting um with the nutrition with the bike setup you know some other uh, performance parameters so that's kind of what you know this business is going to be and 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 offering this to to age groupers Great. All the small things add up to lots that's of right. lots of speed, John. That's what we're looking for. That's awesome. <laughs> and you're going to be in Kona this year? Yes, I'll be in Kona. Right. I'm also going to be probably at Eagle Man and maybe Rev Three Quasi. Nice. Vegas. And I'm getting ready to actually fly out to the tour of California too. That's going on very um, nice. right now. Awesome. I don't know when this podcast will be aired, but <laughs> yeah, we will. Uh, we had a Kiwi guy who was in the breakaway yesterday. The first, I think it was one of the first stages, so we'll see how he did. Who, who was that? A guy called Josh Atkins. He's about. Oh yeah, hey. he's on the Bontrager Livestrong team. He was he was in town here. He's, he's a young boy too. Isn't he like seventeen? Yeah, those guys were in town training he not too long 13. ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's time to do that, young man. Awesome. Well, we'll hopefully um, catch up with you in Kona if you've got time, because um, we'll be over yeah, there and. Uh, We'll probably knock on Crowy's door again as well. So um, awesome! Thanks for your time. And um, as I said, by the time this comes out, we'll, um, your website might be live, but we'll certainly give it a plug when it when it is. Otherwise, uh, people can find you on Facebook if they need to. Oh yeah! <laughs> Thanks, guys. Awesome, awesome, mate. Cool. Yeah. What do you think of the interview, John? That was great. You know, um, interesting. I love you. I love because I'm not a very detailed person. You know, like I kind of just fluff over the details. But it is interesting when you hear someone like him talk about you know, the intricacies that they go into to find speed. Mm. Oh, it's fascinating. And um, I'm, I'm lining up an interview, which is going to be really, really interesting when we get around it to it with a guy that has uh, has done wind tunnel testing. He, he used to do it with uh, with the, the Garmin the Garmin cycling team. And but what he's done is, is he's looked at done wind tunnel testing, and that's all good and well. You can get into the most aerodynamic, fantastic position. But then he also looks at the metabolic cost of dipping in different positions. So you might be in this wonderful aerodynamic position, but you're so tight um, that it may you may be uh, improving your speed quite significantly, but you've got to produce um, you're producing a lot less watts. So it's going to be uh, really interesting when we get them on. It's going to be um, I'm quite excited about it. Oh, good stuff. Okay, sponsor Ethlinks.com. Got a challenge for everybody this week, Bevan. We need oh, to get challenge. some more. Yes, we need to, to get some more people on Ethlinks. So we, we know that. It's, Part of Athletics is, is, is setting up your rivals and, uh, and laying a bit of smackdown talk out there and comparing yourself against, um, against your mates and stuff. You know, it's fantastic. I love it that you can keep all your results in one place from all the different races you do, and that's probably the, the key thing for me. But the second most important thing is being able to lay a bit of smackdown and see, whilst you might think you might have the wood over one of your mates, if you actually look at it, sometimes they may have beaten you a bit more or their PB might be a bit better, so you can set your rivals up. So what I want everybody this week to do is 
if your mates aren't on Athlinks, just pop them a, pop them a note, say get onto Athlinks and uh, and set them up as as rivals, and then you guys can hit, you know check out your win loss records. You can see how close you were at different races, and you don't have to scour around you know all the different Ironman races or challenge races or half Ironmans you've done. You can keep them all in one place. So get onto Athlinks and uh, and just pop your mates whatever medium you guys use whether it be facebook whether it be email just pop them a note say check out athlink sign up and i'm gonna spank you <laughs> sign up so i can show you that i'm spanking you that's what you do exactly <laughs> so check it out on on athlinks.com okay whoops oh, of the week of the week and john we put out a call last week to thorson and the guy is an absolute legend because each week we kind of just throw crap at him and each week he comes up with the answers. And so last week we were talking on the show around a discussion of who was the youngest Kona winner. And we were kind of talking about how in our sport and, you know, longer distance triathlon that, you know, younger guys aren't really coming through. It's more, you know, once guys are in their later career, they really seem to excel, especially right now. And uh, so we took, put the call out to Thorst and we said, well, what are the facts? Who were the youngest athletes and, and what's all the story behind that? And he went and did a, a little a piece on his website, tryrating.com, Age of Kona Winners. And it's pretty interesting, isn't it? It is. And what I, what I did actually yesterday, I put a little post on our um, on Facebook to see oh, great. who people, without doing research, what people thought. And uh, Alex Thompson said he thought Lick Van Laird. Tim Swanson said Ferris. Mark Loken said Norman. Dan, Danny Ward said, uh, he said it's going to be someone with a lot of titles. And he thinks maybe Mark Allen and Paula Newby Frey. Uh, Aiden Rich said Dave Scott. He thought in 1980 he was quite young, I think 26. Um, nice. And he thought Ka- Kathleen McCarty, might maybe in 1982. Del Pitcher, Del was a good man from, from Epic Camp a few years ago. He said Thomas Hellrig or maybe, maybe Laurie Bowden. Um, nice. Bowden. Yep, uh, Bowden, yep. uh, lots of other people posted up there. Nadine Voice thought Dave Scott. Um, Ned Phillips thought Ferris and Julie Moss. Oh, no, he means Kathleen McCartney. Um, Torsten's loving the discussion. Nadine Voice thought Scott Tinley. Um, and Mark... Tickner thought Thomas Hellregal um, by a week. So, well, Torsten even did a bit of a tease. He went on and he said, Love the discussion. I did the research, so I'll just tease you. And this was later on in the discussion. No one's got the youngest male. So, yeah. Mm. So, so, what did you think? What, what did you think going into it? Well, we, when we discussed it last week, when, when you said Ferris, I, I thought Ferris was, was probably, probably it. On the girls' side of things, who would have I thought? I, I probably would have said. Um, Paula Newby Fraser, probably. How old was she when she first won? Do you, does he say she, uh, she would have been about, by looking at this, about 24, I think. Yeah, yep, she must have been, yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, 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 the guts of it is, on the girls' side of things, Sylviane Puntos was the youngest winner at age 22 in 1983. Now, in fairness to everyone else who's raced since then, they were in the sport when no one else was really in the sport, weren't they? So, to, not the 20th, you know, it was like a third year maybe, fourth year, but, mm. it, you know, at that stage, it wasn't, a, you know, a sport that had a history and it was well established. So, to come in at 22, you know, I can't imagine a 22-year-old winning Kona now. Pretty unlikely, I would, I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, and on the guy's side of things, the youngest male winner, Nadine Voice, you got it right, Scott Tinley in 1982 at the age of 25. Wow. 
Nice. And we had a couple of 26-year-olds. Dave Scott's first win came at 26 in 1980. Thomas Hellrigger was also 26 when he won in 1997. Um, so Mark Allen Mark, was actually only 31 when he first won. Cause, and this is something we discussed with with, with Molina and, and he went so many times before he actually cracked it like Macca was the same you know Macca was probably relatively young when he um, first started going to Kona but um, they both took you know five or six times before they actually got the win yeah what's interesting Sadler, McCormick and Alexander all won their first one at 31 mm-hmm mm. Natasha, uh, Paul and Yubi Fraser's eight wins occurred over a span of 10 years from 1986 to 1996 and as That's you said it looks like, yeah I think she was, it looks like 24 when she first won Erin Baker um, when she won her first title which was uh, I think she was only 26 but when I when I scanned through Torsten stuff the progression of the men's winners looks like another dynasty in fact it's um, it's three different athletes Stadler McCormick and Alexander uh, that are the most but almost the same age. Crowey is the oldest male winner at 38, so he must have taken over because I'm sure Macca was the oldest winner um, when he no, won no, the no. year before. I think it was still, Macca was the second oldest. He was close to Dave Scott. Right, yeah, okay. I'm pretty sure that Dave Scott was the oldest winner and Macca was like a few days out, but then Crowey took it out. And we weren't, I wasn't even in the right ballpark. The youngest recent winners were Farris's, who was 27, so he's yep. a bit older. And then Marina Carfrey was 29 when she won in 2010. Um, here we go. Oh, hold on. He's got a little, uh, I couldn't find the exact date births of some of the early winners. So if you can help me out, please let me know. Specifically, I have no information on Robin Beck, Linda Sweeney, and Kathleen McCartney. The only, uh, and only rough information on Gordon Haller, Tom Warren, and Joanne Ernst. So those people that did say Kathleen McCartney, you could be right. So you need to find a date of birth out there. So I suppose nowadays you're, you're kind of saying, really, your, your typical Ironman winner is mid, early to mid-30s, really, isn't it? Yeah, and then most of them, of the, of the recent crop, have come out of short course racing. They've done their dash at short course, you know. I know Ray Lert hasn't won yet, um, but he's come out of a short course, quite a long short course career. Crowey had quite a long short course and um, half Ironman career. Um, um, Macca had a long short course career. So all these guys are coming through, Dirk Bockel, people like that, um, uh, Rasmus Henning, they're all coming off short course side of things. And, and, and I think that's where we're likely to see the winners come through. You know, guys that are, that are pure Ironman athlete that don't do short course backgrounds, say someone like a, um, a Chris McDonald, you know, the reason that most of them haven't done short course is because they weren't sort of had that sort of speed in their legs so I think it's unlikely that we see people that come straight into Ironman and then do well well but is that more because we don't we don't develop young kids towards Ironman like because you could mm. Chris McDonald's done a great career but he, you know totally. he, he was he was a working man who kind of got into it in the early mm. 20s whereas if we got a kid at 15 and thought let's develop him towards Ironman you know I know we go all athletic development and body and all the rest of it but if we did do that, would we get kids who are 24, 25 who actually be dominating the sport? Potentially, but I think yeah, I, I think we, we could do, but how, how safe and how sensible is it for them to be doing that big mileage in their teens? Is you got it, you got that question there. Yep. And the other big thing for them is it's a lot harder to make a career as an Ironman athlete. If you start short course, you're going to get the, the support from the National Federation if you're in the short course sort of program. So there's a lot more security there in terms of get, finding your feet and, uh, and, and, and developing and you, know, you, you get all the, the shebang in terms of the coach support 
support the, the you know, um, sports science and all those sort of things. So it, it's, a, it's a safer route to go down and, and probably a more sensible route to go down, I would think. And there's, there's um, yeah, the main thing is, is you, get, you, you get a free ride in terms of the support, so you well, don't have to go out there and fight. Well, what's interesting is, is it, so would Ferris be the first non-short course guy to win in a while? Yeah, but at the same time, I'm sure he would have had a bit of a short course career before he got into to oh, long yeah, but, course. But, but he was—he's been—he's never been a short course athlete. If you, you know, no, if, you know, no. he's never raced ITU at a high level. I don't believe so. I wouldn't wouldn't um, wouldn't stand out there and say he certainly hasn't. But I, I would agree that he hasn't. He didn't have a big career there. But um, I'm, I'm not quite sure where he's he came from. Maybe we can ask him next time we interview him. But it's interesting with the girls. How with the girls we do get you know you know like a lot of the top girls right now haven't come from short course. Mm, that's true. You know, if you look that's at Chrissy, true. Chrissy never did short course. Mm, well, she she did actually. She just didn't crack it. Um, Rachel Joyce, you know, um, she's an ex swimmer. Leander Cave did come from short course background. Um, did Carolyn Stephen? I don't think so. Because um, she's pretty strong um, right now. Yeah, Marinda Carfrey, she did, but she didn't make the top level of short course because yep. her swim was not weak enough. She was always a good runner. I think she did very well in juniors, but 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 at elite level, she didn't. You know, she may have done some fantastic races, but she wasn't like a consistent winner or anything like that. So you know, I'd, I'd agree. More of the top guys these days are from short course backgrounds than uh, than the girls. So then the question becomes: Why aren't more ITU girls making the transition at the later part of their career? That's a good question, and yeah. um, and I don't have the answer for it. Well, John, you need to have the answers for everything. Sharpen up. Well, it, it, it is a bit of a sexist comment. It, it, the girls' fields these days are really, really tough on the World Champs Series. There's, there is there's more and more depth there, but but I certainly know back in back in my day, Bevan, back in my <laughs> day, back when I used to walk to school, <laughs> it was pretty easy for for the girls to go and do Olympic distance races, say around Europe, and easily win there was no depth you know I used to go to races with Jenny Rose um, who was uh, one of New Zealand's best Olympic distance athletes and she'd rock up at races she'd just crush everybody you know you could just basically pick a race each weekend and you could go and make pretty easy money it's not not as hard um, it, it's certainly a lot harder these days but I'm wondering if, it, if that's one of the reasons it's a, again a bit more of a security blanket there um, you can make more money um, doing short course races you can race a bit more regularly um, and I guess you probably get more girls, you know, the guys that come out of the ITU program say they're, they're maybe in their early 30s. If girls are finishing their ITU career, say, at a similar stage, they may be moving on to having kids and things like that. So maybe that's one of the reasons. Cool. They, they sort of finish their ITU career, boom, finish triathlon, go pump out some babies. Mm, it's interesting, but isn't it? Because you kind of, yeah, it's interesting. Maybe that will happen more now. It'll be interesting to watch after the Olympics what happens to this bunch of Olympians who mm. comes into our world from there. Mm. Mm. Okay, coffees of Hawaii. We were cranking out the coffees of Hawaii this morning. Rick was out there pumping a bit of uh, coffee through the, the percolator over, over in our room. So um, all the guys again on the camp. Another reason why you should be coming on this camp, people, is you get yourself some nice coffees of Hawaii. Well, and you get coffees of Hawaii in Hawaii. Exactly. And it tastes, it tastes even better when you get here. Tastes yeah. even better. So, if anybody wants to get coffees of why, um, come on, come on my camp. Um, I'm looking at. I'm not sure if I'll do it annually or it might be biannually. If you if you if you missed out this time, but you want to get yourself some coffee, come over to Ironman Ironman Week, and you can swim out to the boat and get yourself some coffee out at the coffee boat. Um, but it's uh, it's good. Um, so any coffee stuff, go to coffeesofwai.com. Um, if you want to get all the codes, the different codes we have, go to imtalk.me and uh, support one of the awesome supporters of our sport. 
John, I've got a coffee fact. Coffee fact. Have yeah. you heard it? It's, coffee can kill you, John. Oh, that's right. Yep. I did get it. Right. A listener sent us through another coffee fact this week, a really good one. And it's a kind yep. of a real, you know, actually properly coffee fact, but I wanted to go off the kill you. That one will come next week. So, Stuart Moore, this is the last of his coffee facts. Coffee caffeine can kill you, John. But yes. you have to drink around 80 to 100 cups in a hurry. Right. So if you want to commit suicide, which we don't encourage, but if you yeah. do want to do it, it's a pretty hard way to do it. Because what would probably happen is you need to go toward it before you can get them all done. Yes. Yeah. That would be, uh, that's, that's it. I'm not gonna t- I, know, I know we've got a few challenges lined up for, for Kona this year. For, um, we're going to do the Aquathon Challenge and we're going to yep. do the, the lap of the plane in our tri-suits. Yep. Um, but I, I'm not happy to... T- to do a coffee challenge I'm sorry I'm putting it out there I'm, I'm not doing a coffee challenge I'm not going to drink 80 to 100 cups of coffee while we're over here what's the most caffeine you've ever had at one time have you gone for that big caffeine hit when I I, 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 um, I, I took quite a few caffeine um, tablets once and that uh, I probably took a few too many of those and uh, that, that, that didn't sit very well with my tummy no one time years ago when I used to drink because I was a hopeless drinker and I always used, to, always used to fall to sleep. So my strategy was to have no-dose tablets, which is like one no-dose tablet is like eight cups of coffee. But I had a whole packet of no-dose tablets, which is about 20 tablets. So really, mm. I probably could have died, John. Oh, goodness. It's amazing I'm, I didn't. I'm, luck, I'm lucky you're still with us. Oh, jeepers creepers. But the problem was I lasted all night, but I couldn't sleep. And so I, I ended up being very miserable for like two days. So don't do that, team. It's not a healthy way of living. So anyway, Stuart Moore. Everything in moderation. That's right. Stuart Moore, thank you for those facts. And I've got a new fact coming next week. Go Coffees of Hawaii, guys. It's amazing stuff. Nice. And one, I know we mentioned Training Peaks earlier in the, um, earlier in the, the podcast, but um, if you want to get hold of, get on to Training Peaks, fantastic. Uh, use the code IMTALK and uh, you get a 15% off the, the premium subscriptions. If, you've got, uh, if you use a power meter or, uh, and even a, um, a GPS watch, the big advantage you get from going to their premium version is uh, you can really look at the, all your information in a lot more details, a lot more charts. When we talked about um, you know, those files that we looked at for from the ITU athlete Matt Chabot, um, then you can look at all your charts in a lot more detail. You can highlight certain sections. You can see where all your sort of peaks and troughs are and how you can sort of even things out. So basically that's what the premium version gives you. It gives you access to heaps and heaps more charts. It gives you a lot, of, um, a lot more control over moving sessions um, around the week. And it only works out at being, um, it's $119 for a year. And if you put in the, the, the code IMTALK, you're going to get 15% off that. So 100 bucks for a year. Um, to be able to you know, really analyse your training in a lot more details. It's a bargain. It's a no-brainer, Bevan. It's a no-brainer, John. Okay, sponsors, athletes.com. Coffees of Hawaii. And Extreme Insurance. Okay, John, so what's happening for your week? What are you actually doing? So we've been uh, we've been busy just getting everything sorted and, and the rest of the people arrive today, which is which is Sunday, um, and then we start the camp to, or start the camp tonight with a with a meal. Tomorrow we are riding the Ironman course, the bike course, which is going to be awesome. Uh, so we head down the Queen K and out to Harvey. Could be a few issues. I, I bumped into Big Eric. You remember Big Eric yep. Van Morlin? Um yep. I bumped into him in town. He's in, he's in town with his wife and uh, for a bit of training in, in the race. And he said there's there's all roadworks out in Harvey. So um, oh. uh, roads apparently all cut up and the oil all over the roads and they're resealing it. So fingers crossed that they have all that sorted before before the race. Um, so we head out to Harvey tomorrow. The second day we head uh, the opposite direction. We head south, head out to around to Ocean View and Captain Cook. Some 
big, big, big climbing down there. And then the third day, we head up um, on the Belt Road up Palani, and we go on the the High Road, um, which again is some some big climbing. So uh, looking forward to a bit of bit of everything this week. We go swim the course. Um, guys have been down to Lava Java already, and they're just the people that haven't been here before. They're just loving the experience. You know, you take them on the guided tour, you take them down. Say that's the pier, that's where the swimmers, and this is Palani Hill, and that's Mark and Dave Hill, and that's where he cracked, and and there's Lava Java, and uh, and this is the turnaround. There's a little church. Yeah, guys like Dave Dwan are just uh, they're just loving it. Nice. the roads are just ridiculously smooth compared to what we're used to in New Zealand. Like, yeah, we were just we were just we went out for a ride this morning, and you're just humming along compared to what we get. So it's it's all good. Hey, and what's um what's the temperature like? It's pretty similar to Kona Kona temperatures. Um, I mean, it's pretty similar. It's, it's <laughs> pretty. Yeah. It, it, it feels similar to me to what it's like in, in October. So it, uh, I don't know if it changes that much around here. Uh, but apparently, when we do the race, seventy point three. Apparently, it's extortionately hot down there. You run on um, all around the Gulf. Uh, areas down there, and I, I guess you probably get a lot of the moisture coming up from the from the golf course, so it's even more humid down there. So uh, it's it's supposed to be a really really tough race. So I'm looking uh, looking forward to seeing how everybody goes in that. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Okay, and when do you get back? I don't get back till uh, Wednesday after whatever Wednesday the fifth or sixth or something like that. So it's uh, yeah, I'm away for about twelve thirteen days, I think. Oh, nice. I'm yeah. Away. Oh, it's all good. How about you, Bevan? What's happening in Bevan world? Well, my life's not as exciting as yours, John, because... Oh, I'm sure it is. Wow, I try. No, not much <laughs> happening. Just a normal week for me this week. I'm, uh, it's nice to be home. Long weekend. Actually, Christchurch Marathon this weekend. Oh, yes. Mm, so I've got a lot of runners running in that, but I'm also doing the voice work there. So um, if you're doing the Christchurch Marathon, I'll be calling you in. Now, tell me this, Bevan. I was looking at the weather forecast, and was it 22 degrees in Christchurch yesterday or the day before? Oh, uh, I don't, re- I don't remember it being 22 degrees, but yeah, it's, it's been warm. I, I wouldn't have gone 22. All right, just wondering. Just the long-range forecast is looking good, John. Good. Yep, it's amazing. Good. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm, people, I'm sure people are loving uh, this, this uh, gold content about Christchurch weather. <laughs> now, other than that, not much. Uh, looking forward to the week, long weekend. And then, uh, no, that's about me for the week. I'm going to get a good story, so I have to sharpen up for next week. Nice. Mm. Got to give a bit of love to some of the sponsors for the camp. We've got guys. We've got the the SLS tribe. We've got some some lovely bike shorts. We've got all this awesome gear from Blue Seventy. We've got salt sticks. We've got a high five coming out our ears. We've got a bit of extreme endurance, bit of coffees of Hawaii. So uh, you get get to come on one of these camps. You, you get you get the goodies. You get the goodies. We've got a pile of M's power cookies in the in the corner. I stashed my. I, I, I came over and I in New Zealand you, when you come to the states you're allowed two bags of 23 kgs. One of my bags was 23.1 and the other one was like uh, 24.8. So they let me away with that. But I've got cookie. I've got the M's power cookies. So I'm loving uh, going to share share the gold with with people on that. Are you looking forward to the hoo ha that's going to be there this weekend? Like it'll be uh, interesting to see. You know, we've been to Kona. You've done lots of races over the years. It'll be interesting to see, and this isn't really even a big race in the Lance calendar for the year, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, what, how much of a hoo-ha there'll be around the race. You know, I, I am intrigued um, to see the the whole thing around Lance. And it's also, for, for, for me, it's, it's, a, it's a big race. You know, they've got over 2,000 people racing, so I'm going to be intrigued how, the, how, the, how it all looks at a, at a half Ironman with 2,000 people racing in it. Um, and I'm pretty sure I should actually check it out. I think it's, it's one mass start, so I'm going to be interested to see how, how the drafting goes out there, how they sort of control that. Um, 
it's a pretty tough course. So yeah, yeah no, I, I am interested to see the Ruha around Lance. I'm I'm pretty sure I've, I've got my media credentials sorted out. So uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll I'll basically I'm going to put the like we did in Kona for for Ironman. I'm going to put our little digital recorder up there at the press conferences, so we'll get to hear everything that that, that they say up there. Um, so yeah, no, I am intrigued. Um, probably what I'm more intrigued about is if all the guys are here, if if Bennett's here, if Crowey's here, if Lance is here, if uh, Pete Jacobs, if all those guys are going head to head, it could be a really interesting race. Given that it's a really tough bike course and uh, it's windy, and Lance could could crush them, and we'll see how he copes with uh, uh, see how he copes on the run if if he can put some damage on them on the bike. Mm, well, it sounds like based on his last strategy, that's what he will do this time. So mm. interesting weekend coming up. Okay. Well, you have a great trip and uh, I'll catch up and we'll catch up with you guys next week. Yep. I'm Russ. I'm Mendo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. Kia kaha. Beautiful. Sweet. It's a sweet connection.